Welcome to Office Hours, a social science podcast produced by the Society Pages at the University of Minnesota. Join us for conversations with prominent scholars, writers, and researchers as we discuss their ideas. Come in. This week we are joined by Matt Ray, a professor at Temple University, where he teaches sociology of race, culture, and health. As a Robert Wood Johnson Foundation scholar, Matt researched suicide rates in Las Vegas, the city with the highest metropolitan suicide rate in the U.S. He is currently working on a book about suicide in the American West, about what he has labeled as the suicide belt. In addition to his work on suicide, Matt has written extensively on the topic of whiteness and white identity. We discuss Matt's current work on the suicide belt and explore the contributions sociologists can make to the study of suicide. All right, so first off, uh, tell us a little bit about the suicide belt. What is it, and uh, why do you think suicide is so prominent in these Western states? The suicide belt is a longitudinal swath of nine states um, in in what uh, most people think of as the Intermountain West. So we think of Montana, Idaho, uh, Wyoming, Colorado, Nevada, Utah, New Mexico, and Arizona. These are the states that are top ten suicide rate states, and they have been changing places in that ranking in the top 10 for at least the last 25 years. Some of those states have been then there for as long as we've been recording suicide statistics. So there's, there's this very persistent pattern of elevated rates of suicide where rates are anywhere from 60 to 80 percent higher than they are in the rest of the country. And, and of course, the question um, is, why would that be? <laughs> Anytime you see belts of mortality like this, where a certain kind of death is clustering in, in a very geographic way, you have to wonder what might be causing right. the cluster. It's one thing to see, to see clusters of flu deaths, which cluster we know because it depends on a pathogen, pathogen being passed you know, from person to person. And other infectious diseases cluster uh, for very for very well understood reasons. And what's harder to understand is why what we think of as a chronic disease, like for instance stroke, might also cluster. And and when I talk about the suicide belt, I'm what I have in my mind really is research that's been done on what's called the American Stroke Belt. The American Stroke Belt is a belt of of about eight to ten states um, in the Mid Atlantic and Southeast, uh, where rates of stroke are are highly elevated above what they are in the rest of the country. Mm-hmm. And there's been really interesting research by medical geographers and by public health researchers uh, and physician researchers, not so many sociologists, interestingly, but lots of people who are asking questions about what might cause these patterns since it's, it's not understood to be the result of an infectious mm-hmm. disease. Right. There's something else that's driving. So one of the things that we ask is, well, is there something in the water? Mm-hmm. <laughs> we Again, we know it's not a pathogen, or, or we hope it's not. But is there something, in other words, about the local ecological context? Is there something about the environment that is productive of this form of mortality? So we're looking for some, some unique feature about the place that might be driving this outcome. And the other alternative is that if it's not something about the place then is it something about the people? Right. <laughs> is there something going on with individuals 
are there some individual level characteristics? High blood pressure is a very good predictor of, of stroke mortality, mm -hmm. untreated. So is there, is there some reason why people in that part of the southeast and the mid-Atlantic, uh, do they have higher blood pressure as well? Is that what's driving the, the outcome? Right. Um, what causes high blood pressure? Well, one of the things that causes high blood pressure is salt. So it, are they getting more salt in their diet? Yeah. <laughs> um, and is that something about the place or is it something about the people? That's a little bit harder to sort out. But those are the kinds of logics of inquiry mm -hmm. that we apply when we see these kind of belted phenomena with respect to, to death. Is it people? Is it place? Is it the context? Is it the composition of the population? Yeah. Um, those are the things that we, we try to understand. And, and so when, when we ask these questions about the suicide belt in the Mountain West, we want to understand what it might be about um, the place that might be suicidogenic, to right. use a Durkheimian word, and, 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 or what might be happening with individuals in that area. Um, so are, are people who are somehow predisposed to suicide clustered uh, in that region? And, and if so, why might that be? Those are the those are the, so the frameworks that uh, I'm applying mm -hmm. to try to understand what's happening with the belt. And uh, the short version is nobody really knows, <laughs> including me, with mm -hmm. a full certainty what is causing this belt. But mm -hmm. after now spending uh, nearly ten years doing this research, I have a um, a few things mm -hmm. to say. <laughs> uh, well, you'll have to read the book. Okay. <laughs> um, no, I think that one of the things that um, that I have been able to sort out is that that, that one of the things that the place versus people mm -hmm. framework overlooks is that people interact yes. with the place in really interesting ways. And, and we call that interaction between people and their material environment culture. Mm -hmm. And so the place versus people framework obscures some discussions or some questions about culture that I think we can use to better understand um, what might be driving um, the the higher suicide rates, rather than just the risk factors that individual you know the individuals might be carrying, mm -hmm. or the risk factors that the that the environment might be kind of conferring sure. onto individuals. Um, and so, one thing I think we have to do as sociologists and in working with other social scientists, anthropologists who are interested in these questions, the social epidemiologists and public health practitioners who are interested in these questions about what, what are the cultural drivers or what might be some of the cultural drivers that are, that are pushing these rates uh, so high, so consistently, for so long. And so suicide, it, it's a foundational subject for sociology with um, you know, Durkheim's work, and, uh, but the topic has really waned within the discipline. And it seems that most of the broader research that's occurring around suicide is a uh, Primarily individual level analyses and um, you know connecting suicide to mental health and substance abuse. But what do you what do you think are the contributions that sociologists can offer this broader research that is occurring around suicide? Well, I think that we have um, I think that we have <laughs> at our disposal the very best explanation <laughs> of what is causing variation in suicide rates, uh, and I, I, I phrase that very carefully. Uh, I, I admire a great deal of the research being done by uh, psychologically informed researchers. Mm -hmm. Everything from just kind of biomedical perspectives that psychiatrists are pursuing 
to the sort of uh, intervention level research that counselors uh, are, are doing. Um, but none of them are well equipped to explain why we see variation, regional variation or county level variation, or community level variation from place to place. They can tell us why individuals within those communities might be at greater or lesser risk for suicide, but they have no framework for talking about why mm -hmm. we might see disparities yeah. from region to region or group to group. And, and so our perspective and our mandate uh, has been clear ever since 1897 when Durkheim, you know, publishes this breakthrough work, which, as you point out, not only is sort of foundational for the discipline, mm -hmm. but for uh, for a good chunk of the uh, the first half of the 20th century was really foundational to the science of suicide research. Um, there, there, the work he did spurred uh, all kinds of studies at the ecological level mm -hmm. uh, of, of suicide rates. And so you have these great studies of suicide rates in Seattle, uh, suicide rates in London, suicide rates uh, in Chicago, and how they vary from borough to borough or from community to community or from census tract to census tract. Uh, using um, basic concepts from Durkheim mm -hmm. to understand whether specific areas within a city are more or less supportive of integration, mm -hmm. and I don't mean that in the racial sense, but integration of of the uh, individual into the into the society uh, and into the community. And um, that research by the 1950s and 1960s began to really come under pretty heavy fire mm -hmm. because of increased awareness of the problems with ecological inference mm -hmm. and the rise of thinking about the ecological fallacy uh, as a strong limitation. Um, and so the ecological study of suicide declined uh, and sociologists began doing research that was more focused <clears throat> on larger aggregates, looking at state level variation or looking at international comparisons. Mm -hmm. um, so we sort of pulled back up um, from that community level where some of the most interesting work was being done. A lot of it inspired by the Chicago School in the 1920s, um, but, but uh, working within a Durkheimian framework. Pulled back up to 40,000 feet and mm -hmm. said, what does this look like from up here? You know, um, And something was lost in that, um, in, in, that, in that move, in that distancing from the local. And I think that the one way that we can contribute to interdisciplinary research is to restore that emphasis on community-level studies to place geographic variation mm -hmm. in suicide rates at the center rather than at the margins of inquiry and begin to really ask questions, as I said just a few minutes ago, about what kinds of cultural drivers okay. might be in play here. Um, in addition to the things that sociologists have been studying, which are much more structural mm -hmm. and are much more focused on, oh, the relationship of the individual to his or her social networks yeah. or the quality and strength of ties that that individual has. Mm -hmm. These are thinking, thinking about, these are ways of thinking about suicide as a problem having to do with structure. It's very Durkheimian, but I want to insist that the cultural approach is very Durkheimian, too. Mm -hmm. So you've also worked extensively uh, on the topic of whiteness and um, 
you know, kind of given your research both on whiteness and uh, your research on suicide, what connections do you see between these two topics? You know, it's a great question because uh, I think for people who, who happen to you know, glance at my CV, it looks like I made a big jump here from working on doing things related to race and critical whiteness studies to work on suicide and that somehow that there's a big disconnect. Um, for me, they were always really tightly connected, but it just in a, probably what's probably a very idiosyncratic way. Uh, you know, it came out of um, a period uh, in the 1990s when critical whiteness studies was just beginning to be a thing, mm -hmm. um, and uh, we were um, fortunate to be able to make some early contributions to that sort of emergent subfield. And one of the questions that we were wrestling with at the time was, you know, white privilege is this thing that is it really distorts uh, interracial alliances and always has distorted interracial alliances in the U.S. and elsewhere. Uh, and how can we uh, talk to white people about the costs uh, involved with being white? Is that, is that a question that, that can be answered? Um, it's certainly one that can be asked, but what would an answer look like? And so I was struck um, when I discovered, um, much to my surprise actually, uh, the kinds of disparities mm -hmm. in suicide rates. Not only do suicide rates vary dramatically from place to place, suicide rates vary dramatically from group right. to group. Yeah. So when you look at the sort of difference between, oh, the African-American female suicide rate for, for women um, who are 18 to 35, and you compare that to the white male suicide rate for that same age group, it, it's a difference in some places of, of something like 15 to 1. Mm -hmm. These are just massive disparities. Um, and they run in an unexpected direction. Right? Mm -hmm. The most privileged group here is having the worst outcome. Right. Uh, and, and this was puzzling and interesting to me because I wondered, wow, is this... Does this have something to do with being white? <laughs> um, and 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 how would how would you go about asking that question? And how would you go about answering it? Mm -hmm. um, and that has question has always been there uh, mm -hmm. for me. I've gotten drawn into um, the research uh, in the Intermountain West um, by focusing on suicide as it's happening in the state of Nevada, and in particularly as it's happening in Las Vegas. Right. Uh, but the question has never really left my mind, which is, how do you explain these really striking disparities, um, which are which are racial disparities? They're also gendered disparities. The male suicide rate uh, in the U.S. Uh, is typically three and a half to five times the the female suicide rate. So, is this not just something that's racial, but something that's also deeply gendered? The the patterns of death would suggest it is, and so. There were lots of questions to get into about inequalities uh, and what some of the costs uh, and consequences. I think we have a fairly good understanding of what whites get uh, as a privilege mm -hmm. set of, of advantages right. um, from being white. And we, we are slower to understand what it might be costing whites. Uh, and in fact, how on this one score, whether or not you're going to kill yourself, women of people of color are looking a lot better than white men. So I just posed that as a thought experiment right. for anyone to run with <laughs> because I think the answers um, to that question may not only be interesting to us as social scientists, but 
particularly useful to those who are trying to do anti-racist kinds of work in the community or people who are trying to understand how to make the cost of white privilege apparent uh, to whites themselves. Great. Well, thank you for uh, joining us today.